Last week we talked about hope, the hope that came when Jesus Christ came to earth. This Tonight we are going to talk about peace. What's peace? What is it? What do you all think? Comfort, okay. What else? Calm. According to some dictionaries, it's the absence of conflict. So according to that idea, if we're, as long as we're not at war, then we have peace, right? So it's the absence of conflict. So there's a song, the adults will be, well, their adults aren't in here that, that old, but they'll be a little more known to know what the song is. How many adults here were Beatles fans? Anybody? Kids, Beatles fans? Okay. John Lennon wrote a song. This song is one of the most popular songs ever, um, according to iTunes. Like, it is a big song. And it has some interesting lyrics. I want you to read the, ly- I'm gonna read the lyrics to you real quick. The song is called Imagine. It's been covered by, like, everybody. Listen to these lyrics. I'm going to start off, it starts off with a little sorrowful note, but imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, this isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. It says, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Such a nice little peppy, not really, song about how if we got rid of all the things that divided us, we would probably be peaceful, which that's like a common sense song if you think about this. If we got rid of everything in this world that divided all of us, but we'd just be robots, we'd all be living in peace. He says, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no religion, imagine there's none of, no fighting, no, not even countries. We'd all be at peace. So, in that context, think about this. Break this down. Is this song, is this idea of everyone being one, everyone being at peace, everyone having no possessions, everyone not, not having countries, no origins, can we all legitimately live at peace? Let's break it down into this context here. Would there be a possibility that your entire school would live in peace? Would there be a possibility, now I'm not saying because of what he says in the psalm, but just in general, just in our world today, is it possible for your entire family to live in peace? I'll just say it this way. If it didn't happen over Thanksgiving, just give it a couple weeks when the family comes back to visit you all again, it ain't going to be peaceful. How about your jobs, you adults? Is it completely possible to be at peace with everybody you work with? Don't say anything, Brett. I didn't say me, but they're, his, he has daughters in the room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. And his wife. <laughs> I'm kidding. Is it possible that this entire youth group could live at peace? Ryan is so optimistic, I love it, but let's ask, let's ask the real question. If it's possible that we all live at peace in our schools, if it's possible that we all be at peace in our families, in our jobs, in our home, in our youth group, then why don't we do it? Because if we don't do it, then it may not be a possibility. Let's go bigger. 
out of our own context, now largest, even greater. He says, imagine if there was no countries. Is it possible for this entire country that we now live in to be in complete harmony and peace? Is it possible for the 7 billion people in the world today to live in perfect peace? No. It's insane to think about. There's not even a thing in my mind that allows me to even fathom this idea of living in perfect harmony. Because in reality, two people can hardly do it, let alone 7 billion people. Think about that. So what is the problem? Is there actually a chance for peace in the world? There's a, uh, there's a there's an old poem. Anybody know the poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Your classic poem. Listen to the story about it, though. So just before Christmas, Paul Harvey told the story of a father whose son had gone off to fight for the Union Army during the American Civil War. After months of camp fever, his son finally saw battle and was seriously wounded. News of his son's wound came to the father on Christmas Eve. And being a poet, he sat down and expressed his anguish in a song. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote these words as he contemplated the bleak Christmas morning. It says, In despair I bow my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks a song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So in the midst of Civil War, 1860s, guy hears about his son, hears about how he is wounded, and he says, how in the world can there ever be peace on earth? He basically says, hate and strong, the hate is strong, and it even mocks the song, which is referring back to scripture, where it says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. What up, dude? I didn't even see you over there. <laughs> Sorry. ADD. <laughs> Earlier, so think about that, peace on earth, Goodwill to men. We know that scripture, but it says hate is strong and it mocks that song. Earlier, Macy read from Isaiah 9, verse 6, and it declares that the Messiah will be, will be called something. It's multiple titles, but one of the titles it said was Prince of what? Peace. One of the many names given to him, but this one is really difficult for us because we seem to have this many mixed messages of what it actually means to be a Prince of Peace. What is actually peace? On the one side, Jesus is called Prince of Peace, and the angels proclaim peace on earth, goodwill to men. So if we start with Scripture, if we allow the Word of God to explain what our reason for peace is, then I think we'll actually get a better understanding of what it is. Because I don't think it's just an absence of conflict. I don't think that's what peace is. But let me, let me clarify this. Let's, let this be the overall theme of tonight, that there is no other peace that which, is given through the, that, is, that which is given through the grace of Jesus Christ. That there's no other peace in this world than that which is given through Jesus Christ. Because we spend our entire lives trying to figure out what peace is. We try to have it in our homes. We try to have it in our jobs. We try to have it in our schools. We try to figure out well, how can we all be peaceful? Why can't we just all get along? Right? And we try to figure out all these different reasons why. We might take multiple personality tests to figure out how we can make our marriages work, Right? What is the real thing of peace? Where can we actually find it? I believe it's only in Jesus Christ. So if you have Bible, if you have your Bible app, or we can have it on the screen, maybe Luke chapter 2, which is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Follow along. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all throughout the entire world that should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was a governor of Syria. And all 
excuse me, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to, to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. Keep going, verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with, was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So if you go right now to my alma mater, if you go down to PHS, go around the horseshoe, I think they've done it already. They usually have a Christmas lighting service every single year. And on the, on the building of the school, it says what? Anybody know? What is it? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. So every single translation is translated this a little bit differently, but this version here says, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. It's a little bit different, but still has the same meaning. But this passage is a breakdown of the Christmas story. So let's kind of summarize this. So it says, today on this day, so this day, where Jesus is born is, was a real day. If you all don't know, this isn't like saying that we're made up over here. No, this is a real day. It happened in history, and it wasn't just a specific day that happened. Way back in the beginning, God says, you know what? On this day, my son will be born. That way before every single one of us could even imagine, ever, before ever, every one of us were ever planned, before everything was spoken into existence, God looked upon Jesus and said, hey, there will be a day where I'm going to send you into earth, and you will be born as a child. It's all part of God's sovereignty. It's all part of the, his, all, his plan. In Colossians 1, it talks about how everything is made through him and for him, that there are specific days, specific times, specific reasons for all of God's plans. So it wasn't just on a day. It was in a specific city. What was the city called? Thank you. Bethlehem, the city of David. This is a real city. This is still an active city today. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, From you, Bethlehem, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. So thousands, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Micah spoke to Israel and said, hey, there will come a day in the small little tiny community of Williamstown, no, excuse me, uh, in the small little community of Bethlehem. That was a joke just for you Williamstown people. This small, mighty little city, right? You guys, hey, just going to throw this out there. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You guys went to the state championship. That is awesome. You guys showed up all the other single-A schools. Hey, that's awesome. Well done. Sorry about your loss, but I'm proud of you. The small little city, small little, nothing really special about Bethlehem. There was nothing. It was from the tribe, the people of Judah lived there. And out of that city would come a Messiah. So it wasn't just a day. It wasn't just in a specific city. It says who, who came, the Savior, the one who would take away all the guilt. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel appears to Joseph, he says, You will call his name Jesus, for he shall save people from their sins. So it wasn't just any specific baby that was born that day. This was supposed to be the Savior of the world. An eternal God only has the authority. So only God could have done this. 
Only God could have made this specific day, this specific city, this specific person. It had to be God in flesh. It had to be Jesus coming as a Savior to forgive sins. But it also calls him not only the Savior, it also calls him the Christ. Because they talked about for hundreds of years this Messiah, this Christ-like figure who would come. And the word actually is Christos, which means anointed one. That there would be an anointed one that would come on this day out of this city from these people. And they would be the anointed priest, the anointed king, and the one who would fulfill all of our hopes and dreams of Israel. And the last term it gives him was Lord. God in flesh. It said he was Lord. He was a sovereign ruler over all things, mighty God, everlasting Father, Lord of the universe. What, what Macy read earlier in chapter 9 of Isaiah, it spoke about the different titles that it gave him and why he was such an important person that would be to come. It says, For, a, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this person was going to come on this specific day, in this specific city, as a Savior, as a Messiah, as Lord. Over all things, he has no beginnings, he has no end. And these angels come and they appear to these shepherds and says, listen, he is now here, he is coming. And what do they say to him? Go back, can you put on verse 14? Listen, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So they come and make this heavenly announcement. They say, hey, Jesus is here, the one you guys have been looking for for a long time. The one that we've all been talking about, all the prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, all these guys are speaking about this coming person. And he's now here. But in this story, there's, in that announcement, they says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom with he is pleased. There are two purposes here. Everyone says, what's the meaning of Christmas? Every Hallmark movie no offense, Brett, no offense, Kate. They're all trying to figure out what is the true meaning of Christmas. We're going back to the 70s, I think it was the 70s, with Charlie Brown trying to figure out what the true meaning of Christmas is, right? And what story, do they, what story does Linus actually read? The one we just went through. So what's the meaning of Christmas? What's the purpose of all this? And it's found in this statement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. It's all wrapped up in this passage. So the two great purposes, the first one is God's glory. Everything that God does, everything that he's ever done will all be for what? His glory. It's always going to be for his glory. And the last one, the second one, it is also for our peace. For God's glory, for our peace. God is glorified because this child is born. Heaven has now come and has now invaded earth, is now taking over. This child has broken the silence that was 400 years without prophets. He's now finally here, and he's now Emmanuel, God with us. God receives all glory. But not just that. The peace that came with him is now spreading through all of those who receive and believe in his child. The two purposes, glory and peace. See, the point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious, that he's going to receive all glory. In the beginning, God receives all glory. In the end, guess what? God's still going to receive all glory. There will never be a point in any part of our history, any part of our existence, where Brett Howard receives all the glory and deserves it. There will never be a point where Ryan Elliott will be deserving of any glory. We don't deserve any of it. From beginning to end, the Alpha and Omega, the only one who's worthy of any glory is who? Jesus Christ. That is it. So all things that he does from the point of creation into redemption is all for his glory, and he wants to be known, and he wants to be praised. 
the point of creation was that, hey, you guys would look upon creation. I, I spoke at uh, FCS at Williamstown the other day, and I think I said this, that we talked about how in Genesis chapter 1, when all things started being created, we had to ask the question, what was it all created for? And the one thought was it was made for us to have a place to stay and a place to live, a place to be habitable, right? Which is one truth. But the ultimate truth is that it was created for God's glory. That every single thing that we see, because we said, what would it look like? We stopped in verse 13 where it says that vegetation and animals started appearing. We asked the question, what did it look like just then? What did, what did all of creation look like before mankind entered in? Do you remember what my answer was, anybody that was there? Like the best Bob Ross painting ever was my, such a happy little tree, not corrupted by sin. You know, like such a happy tree, such a happy mountain. Think about that. All of that, though, all that creation, everything that we can physically see, even the person sitting next to you, as funny as they look, you should be able to look upon them and not give glory to them, not give glory to yourself. You should be able to give glory to God because you can see the thumbprint on them, the thumbprint of God. That we can all agree that Dave Medley is maybe one of the most unique creations in this world. But there is no other one like him. But guess what? He is still made in the image of God. And we should be able to look upon him and say, see his uniqueness. But not just see his uniqueness and give him praise. We should look upon him and give praise to our Heavenly Father, the one who deserves it. That's what the point of creation was. But it didn't stop there because creation wasn't the only part. Redemption had to be a part of it too. The point of redemption was that when he looked, when God looked upon on his creation, he not only saw a bunch of people, he saw a bunch of peace-filled people who would praise him for his glory. But the question says, we saw it back to where we started, how do we really experience peace? What does this actually look like? But who, which one of us, who, can any of us ever actually experience this kind of peace? Well, here's my argument, that only those who receive and believe in the one who extends his peace can actually experience this peace. I believe that there's no other person in this world other than the, the name of Jesus Christ where we can receive peace. There's no other status you can ever reach. There's no other relationship that you can ever be in where you will experience the peace that we are talking about tonight. Yes, they might look at you and you might feel good for like five minutes and then someone else looks at you and you might feel good for another five minutes. No, this is what we're talking about. This is the only person we can actually experience true peace. So what this means is the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself or Christ himself. The only one that we can get this from is Jesus Christ. When we think of peace, we should think of Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. We can never take one from the other. So if we truly want peace to rule in our lives, if we truly want to experience this, if you guys really want to live at peace, if you really want to experience peace, guess who you should have Lord of your life? Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven where that can come from. His purpose is to give you peace by being most glorious in your life. That if you allow God to be the most supreme person in your life, if you allow him to be the number one thing, if you allow him to be first, if you allow him to be supreme ruler, sovereign king of your life, guess what? Everything that we ever read about, every characteristic of God that we read about, you can experience whether that's grace, whether that's mercy, love, peace, gentleness, self-control. Outside of that, outside of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, it's never going to happen. You will never be able to experience that kind of peace. His purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. So the key to peace is keeping together what the angels kept together. Go back to the 
scripture, if you would, uh, verse 14. I think it was verse 14. We've already gotten the highest. So, if we truly want to be able to keep these things together, like the angels, we have to keep the glory of God and the peace among those whom he is pleased as the two main purposes. But the first one always has to be what? First sentence. First three words. Glory to God. Because let me promise you, if you don't give glory to God, the next line will never happen. Just like a couple of weeks ago at Fall Retreat, or just like I spoke about a week ago on Sunday morning, if we never truly love God, guess what? We're never going to truly love one another, will we? It's never going to happen. We can never truly love one another if we don't really love our Lord. So how does this affect us now? What does this look like for us now? First, is that we, because of this, because of what they said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth upon those who in his favor rest, we can now have peace with God, first and foremost. We can now have peace with God. And that might just be like, oh, we can have peace with God. No, that should be like the number one, like, mind-blowing idea, that a holy create, creator God, the one who creates everything, the one that creates everything that we can see and everything that we cannot see, you guys have no idea that the universe is still expanding. The God who created that looks upon every single one of us, and, you know, he could have said, you know what, y'all suck, you're going to hell. Let's just start all over again. But instead, he looks upon every single one of us and says, you know what, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with all these people, not just those ones who live over there, not just the ones who live over here, but I want to have a peace with all of them. So he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, We have been justified and now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not by baptism, not by works, not by tradition, not by church, not by whatever family you come from, not by whoever your parents are. Just because you're born in America does not mean you're a Christian. Just because you go to a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. You can do all those things and still, no, still not have or access the peace of God. You realize that. That the only way we can truly have access to the peace of God is being in peace with who? God. We are now united with him. And guess what? This union that we are now have with Jesus Christ, this union that we now have, will overcome every rebellion that you ever have. No matter what Hudson Miles used to do, no matter what he is doing now, no matter what happens in the future, his union with Jesus Christ, if he truly believes in Jesus Christ, it will overcome every rebellion that he ever does. That's amazing. Not just because it's Hudson, but it's just because of how great our Lord is. That he looks upon his prized possession, looks upon his prized creation, and says, I want to have peace with this creation. I want them to be able to have peace with me. And this is a peace that will never leave. That if you truly have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you truly have experienced this peace, it will never go away. Because we read a lot, we read this passage a lot in Fall Retreat, Romans 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No trial, no suffering, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. No matter how many times you turn your back on him, he'll always take one step forward following you. We sang the song this morning, and we sing a song a lot up here a lot of times, Reckless Love, right? There is nothing that God will not do to come after you. Doesn't matter how many times Scott McClure screws up. Doesn't matter how many times Josiah Thompson screws up. He's always going to keep coming after you. So first, we can have peace with God, but the second thing that we can now do is have peace with ourselves. That's a hard one, for me at least. I, I, I do believe that I can have peace with God, but I look at that and go, you know what? 
I believe that I can now have peace with God. I believe that he saved me from my sins, but I still have to live with the guilt of every single thing I've ever done. Because there will be a day when I come before my Heavenly Father, and he'll read off a list. Scott, do you remember on November 3rd, 2001? Oh, don't bring that one up. There's going to be a, my life will be laid out in front of me. He's going to lay out my good works, and I might pat myself on the back, but then he's going to lay out all the crap. And it might, guess what? It might outnumber the good works. But the reality is, if we can truly have peace with God, then we can truly have peace with ourselves, that we can be free of anxiety. We can be free of stress, worry, guilt, fear, all these things that paralyze us. I love what Philippians, what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, that, listen, the peace that surpasses all knowledge can guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How much time in our life do we spend worrying about the things that really don't have control over us anymore? All the time. I think it was Chuck Swindoll says we spend 10% of our life, we, 10% of our life is what happens to us, and 9% is how we react to it. My gosh, we spend so much time worrying about what happened, or we spend our time worrying about who said what, or why did I say that, or we live our lives in guilt. I'm sure the adults can think back of 30, 40, 50 years of all the mistakes that we've made, and you're like, how in the world am I in where I am today? Or 20 years, I'm sorry. But we, we can look back and say, wow, how in the world did I end up here? Because there are so many different things. But I, I've used this over and over again, and it's a, a, something that's become true of my life and something I've been holding on to. I heard a pastor say, sin can only linger if you give it a home. That what controls you in your life, whether it be fear, anxiety, stress, worry, sin, the only reason why it controls you, guess what, is because you allow it to. That person who annoys you, that person who wrongs you, guess what, you're allowing them to control you and they don't even realize that they're doing it. The person who offended me several years ago, the person who offended my marriage, I dwelt on that for over a year until finally I had to come to a point like, you know what, I'm not even, I don't even see this guy anymore. My life's better than his. Excuse me, that's not, that's, that was just my mindset, that's not true. But my life's better than his. I had to come to a point where I was like, you know what? Why am I allowing this guy to control me? My marriage is great. He said my marriage sucked. I'd only been married six months. There's no chance for it to suck yet. Like, I'll be honest, we didn't have that kind of trial yet. But I was like, he's controlling me, and I'm, I don't even see him. But there's so many of us in this room who we have people controlling us because of what they said or what we think they may have said. Or we're being controlled by our anxieties, our stresses, the things that we're like, hey, I don't want this to go this way. It may never even go that way. You know, like, you ever get like that text? It's like, Joe Lizer, I'm going to call you out on this one. I texted Joe one time. We were just texting back and forth, like the day before fall retreat, right? I just said, hey, what you doing? And I said, are you at work today? Because I will only go to Qdoba if Joe Lizer's there. Because I don't allow him to touch my food. Because I just walk in and say, whatever you want to make me, I will eat it. But I texted him. I was like, hey, are you working today? He said, no, I'm hunting. What, what's up? I said, I'm just getting ready to go eat. And, he, and I said, do you want to go get lunch? Well, apparently, that sentence, do you want to go get lunch, that question, 
You want to go chat over lunch? You want to go chat over lunch? That was my text. That question apparently means something bad's about ready to be happening. Something bad's going to come out of my mouth. I'm going to publicly shame him in their doghouse. But think about that. How often do we get that text? Hey, um, can we chat? You automatically think the dog's dead, right? I used to think my mom and dad, every time they say, hey, Scott, can you come up here for a second? got to talk to you. I thought, who died now? Because there was a steady period of time where that's all that happened. But every time you hear that sentence, every time you hear some certain, it might be, I'm joking aside, but yes, but like you hear someone text you that, you hear someone talking, you may think they're talking about you, and you're like, oh, I, I, oh what in the world are they going to say to me? What in the world are they going to think? What are they going to find out? What are they going to think of me whenever they do find out? And then you go into a situation that doesn't even happen. But you just spent five hours stressing and worrying about, like Joe, he spent like 20 minutes driving from Route 50 to their, their doghouse. What in the world did I do? But think about that. How we let other people control you, how we let our circumstances control us, how we let Satan himself control all the things that we do, all the things that we think. And it says, how do we replace that? We think about the things that are holy, admirable, commendable, pure. Those things that are running through your head like, why do, why do they think about this movie? Who cares? You're a daughter of God. doesn't really matter what they think of you. You're a son of the God most high. It doesn't matter what they think of you. All those insecurities that we have and sometimes we project on other people, you don't have to think about them anymore. They cannot control you, but they only will control you if you allow it to. It's the truth. But if we can really realize this, if we can believe that he is truly guarding our hearts, like it says in Philippians, that that peace of God that surpasses all knowledge will guard our hearts you know why? Because he's already given it to us. He's already given us the peace that we need. He's already extended the peace. The, he's extended every single thing that we need to be successful in life. That every single thing that we need to live this life, every single thing that we need for holiness, every single thing that we need to live a godly life has already been given to us by his word, by his giftings, by all the blessings that you guys have in your life. It's already there. And we ask, the, we ask ourselves the question, can, does God really... Will he really guard my heart? He's already guarding your heart even when you ask the question. So we can have peace with God, peace with ourselves. And lastly, we can now have peace with one another. We spent a lot of time focusing on this as we read through 1 Peter chapter 3 at Fall Retreat. But it's the truth. We will never, ever have peace with one another if we do not have peace with God and if we do not have peace with ourselves. It will never happen. Everything that we try to have, if we don't have God, if we don't have peace with ourselves, it will all be fabricated lies. Because what, what ends up happening is that every single thing that we have against God, every single thing that we feel like God hates us for, we're not going to project on somebody else because now we, know, we no longer have peace with ourselves and now we're insecure about this and now I'm going to look upon this person and go, well, I'm not insecure, you're insecure, this is actually on you and now you have this big divide and there's a reason why our country is the way that it is. There's a reason why your homes are the way they are, their workplaces, their schools, because we may not actually truly have peace with God, peace with ourselves. Romans 12, 8 says, may we all live peaceably with one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, verse 32. If you want to know how we live with peace with one another, look at this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So simple right here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, Logan White, the forgiveness that you've been given, you should be able to extend to everybody, right? You should. 
Why? Because he's already forgiven you. The things that annoy you about other people, the things that, that they have done to offend you, guess what? God's forgiven you maybe for more or worse. Despite all that we have done, Christ has forgiven us. Imagine that same forgiveness flowing, as you said this morning, from the throne of grace, flowing throughout history, and now flowing through our lives as we live in peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another. But you know the hard part about that is, and I see this amongst teenagers all the time, how we react when that is not given back. How we react when that's not given back. That same peace that we extend to one another, we react so negatively when that's not coming back to us. We're like, well, I extended you, Grace. I, I forgave you. Why aren't you going to forgive me? I moved on. Why can't you move on? Right? It all goes back to where you first started. Now all the insecurities, all the hatred, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the stress are now welling up in you again. Can you imagine as Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross and everyone's hurling insults at him, if he goes, well, yeah, you know what? You suck too. I'm coming down. not doing this. But as he hung on the cross and everyone's hurling insults, they're beating him, spitting upon him. He looks upon his father and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. He didn't control him. He was moving on. Imagine if we had the same kind of idea, because in reality, he was not being controlled by them. He was being controlled by the love of God, being controlled by the grace of God, being controlled by the, the will of God. So as you extend that peace, as you extend and live in a life that looks like that, you may not get it back. But guess what? Who cares? Move on. They're not going to control you. Don't allow them to control you. Sin will only linger if you give it a home. Be amazed that you now have peace with God, that you now have peace with your soul, and you are able to have peace with one another. If we can truly do this, if we can truly realize this reality, if we can live in that reality, guess what? We could actually live in a world of harmony and peace. But so we go back to the question where we started. Is this idea of everyone being one, is this idea of everyone being in peace a reality, not without Jesus Christ? But not only not without Jesus Christ, but there has to be more. There has to be Jesus Christ, and there has to be a united body of believers coming in right behind him. Because the example that he set for us is the example that we should be displaying to the world. Can we truly have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another? As we close, I want to invite the band back up. And they're going to sing one last song.